Matthew six nineteen to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot Serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this, what is fantastic, glorious teaching of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be hugely warmed and encouraged and excited about what you have to say to us about money and about how we can live free from being pressured by possessions. Lord, be with us tonight, we pray. May we go from here feeling excited and more in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. In your mighty name, amen. Uh, tonight, I think, we come to a very simple section on the Sermon of the Mount. Simple in that what you read is exactly what you take home. Jesus is being very clear. And in fact, my main problem tonight is that I could just end up complicating the passage more than it needs to. This is not a complicated passage. But it is a profoundly difficult one. Here we see Jesus tackling the very dangerous issue of money and just what money and possessions can do to a person. Some of the things that Jesus says all the way through his teaching make us really squirm in our seats, today included. Whether we're wealthy or not, he is talking to all of us who claim to follow Jesus. 
But the worst thing, as Robin was saying earlier, the worst thing that I can do, the worst thing that we can do tonight is to lighten or loosen or heavily caveat what Jesus says about money and the way that he says it. The temptation to do that is enormous. Knowing my own heart, which is in many respects rotten to the core when it comes to thinking about money and about comfort and about self-sufficiency and being safe. The temptation for us to emphasize perhaps more on what Jesus is not saying. The temptation to allow us a little bit of breathing space so we don't feel as close to this teaching as perhaps we really are. The temptation to go away from here tonight thinking, well, that doesn't really apply to me. If we go away thinking that, then we have grotesquely failed. And we have not got what Jesus is trying to do to our hearts. Indeed, we've not got what he's trying to do for our standard of living. Because the glorious truth is we don't need to loosen Jesus' teaching here. And the reason why is because this passage is astonishingly beautiful. To weaken Jesus' teaching on money is to rob this incredible teaching of all of its glory and all of its joy. This passage is astounding. This passage is so revolutionary, it's so life-transforming, it's so radical, it's so joyful, it's so profoundly countercultural that we should be leaving here wanting to do nothing else but live and relish in the very heart of Matthew 6. And to fully believe that Jesus' teaching on money is everything that I want to live and strive for. We cannot rob this passage of its joy tonight. That would be a travesty. And it would leave us going away from this building, feeling what this passage tells us we shouldn't be feeling, anxious and worried. Because as we'll see as we go through this remarkable teaching of Jesus, he is increasing our standard of living, not taking it away. He wants to make us richer tonight because of what he teaches here on money. With all that in mind, I think it's helpful, before we start, to highlight three principles as to why talking about money in the way that Jesus does is a good, good thing to do. And full disclosure, these three principles are taken pretty much verbatim from John Piper, who I think absolutely nails this. He really gets what's going on here, and I chatted to Robin and Andy about it, and instead of trying to reinterpret brilliance, I'm just going to tell you them um, as they are. Feel free to write them down. They're great. And I hope that they will help us as we grapple with this wonderful teaching of Jesus. Three principles as to why we should be talking about money. Principle number one. To speak pointed, faithful words about money and possessions is to put yourself in good, good company, namely with Jesus Christ himself. You know, 15% of what Christ says deals with money and possessions, more than what he says on heaven and hell combined. He deals more, in fact, with money and possessions and wealth than any other single area of sin or temptation. So to talk about this is a profoundly Christ-like thing to do. Second principle. If we as a worldwide church if we as Chalmers Church could be gripped 
by the liberty that Jesus died to buy for us, that is our very lives for an eternal glory, and if we could be gripped by the radical, simple, wartime, risk-taking lifestyle that Jesus lived and taught, it would release an avalanche of mercy, mission, evangelism, and training across the entire world, the likes of which we have never seen. That is how radical this teaching is. Can you imagine what that would look like if we Christians all across the world abandoned wealth and put it all into gospel work? And I'm not being ridiculous. Can you imagine the impact on the gospel? Third principle. If we could be set free in the way that Jesus talks about here, we would be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Getting rid of the hold that money has on our hearts will make us the happiest people on the face of the earth. And I mean true happiness. Happiness in the midst of real suffering, which we are promised to endure. Happiness in the midst of real persecution that the gospel brings. Happiness in sacrificing our comfort for the sake of our fellow man and for the sake of the gospel. Not mirth, not joviality in the face of death, bereavement, job loss or illness. Happiness, joy, true life-bending, radical, transformative happiness. Happiness that should be transparent on all of our faces as Christians. And if all those principles are true, then why would we walk away from this teaching of Jesus? But don't take my word for it, or John Piper's. Let's take Jesus' word for it. And so with those three principles rattling around in our minds, let's get into the passage. And we'll go through it simply following the path that Jesus takes us, by looking at the three imperatives that Jesus majors on in turn. The first, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. And let's read again those first few verses from verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, John Piper makes a good point here. He says, if I were to ask you, well, did you store up treasure in heaven yesterday? I wonder if we'd even know what that meant. And it's a good point. What does storing up treasure in heaven look like? Could we even think of a time when we've actually done that in practical terms? Maybe you can, and that's great. But it, it can seem a little bit numinous. Well, again, let's not complicate the issue. Notice that this imperative to store up treasure in, earth, in heaven is prefaced with the negative imperative. Don't store up treasures on earth. And we absolutely know what that looks like. The constant thinking or panicking about what I need to do to move on in my job. How much more I need to save to get that item, to increase my shares, to squirrel away more money, to put towards the future, to get a a larger portfolio, to get a new house, a new car, a different wardrobe. This kind of stuff is in our DNA. We are by nature as humans and Westerners treasure hoarders. And even if we're not actually spending lots of money, the time we waste, the time I have wasted 
trawling the internet for hours, looking at new bikes, new sound systems, new houses, new clothes, new cars, schools, kitchens, holiday destinations, weighing up how much I have left over if I were to get what I want. I've done this to the point, if I'm honest, where it has become an obsession for me at points in my life. Where I pour all my desire into Google and I revel in that deep sense of longing, the longing that lies to my heart, saying this is all going to work out for your good and your comfort and your joy if you just get that one more thing. You see, Jesus is not just talking about the monetary wealth we have. He's getting right to the nature of how we live. Our secret obsessions, whether we have lots of things or none at all, those with very little are just as wrapped up in this teaching. And so Jesus, as he always does, focuses deeper on our motivations, on our hearts. In short, what motivates me to work, to study, to get up in the morning, to speak to people, to maintain relationships. Do I do these things purely as a means to an end? Do I do all these things, even subconsciously, for that end to be status or security or comfort or wealth? Are the decisions concerning the jobs I go for made purely for economic reasons? Is my motivation to study merely to get a good wage in the future? Is my desire to meet with people purely based on what I can get out of them? Do I maintain relationships purely because they're economically beneficial? Again, what is the nature of my heart? What is driving us to live? What are we depending on every single day? What are our knee-jerk reactions in our decision-making? Indeed, does the attitude of just building up more stuff on earth become the normal part of everyday living where this is pretty much just how I function without even thinking about it? As Jesus says here in verse 21, if that's the case, then that is where your heart truly lies. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't live like that. Instead, do the opposite. Store up treasure in heaven. Instead of craving wealth on earth, crave wealth in eternity. Instead of seeking to be rich here, seek to be rich in heaven. In short, instead of doing things, going to work, studying well, speaking to people, maintaining friendships, merely to build up stuff on earth, do all that to build up stuff in heaven. Am I living with a temporal aspect in mind, in other words, or an eternal one? What does that look like? Am I going to work in order so that I can share the gospel? Where someone may come to know Christ, and I know that they're going to be with me in heaven. That's storing up treasure in heaven. Am I studying well in order to learn more about the world and how it works, giving thanks to a good God, maybe in order to effect change for good in society whilst being able to do so, perhaps speaking gospel truth to power? That's storing up treasure in heaven. Am I speaking to people, maintaining relationships with people who aren't going to get me anywhere in life? And who aren't going to give me anything purely because I love them as Jesus loved them. I want them to be in heaven. That's storing up treasure in heaven. 
That's what being rich in the kingdom looks like. What am I doing to increase my joy before the Father? What is it that I'm doing to increase my expectation of standing with God and looking out over the multitudes and multitudes of billions of people and say, I was involved in that. Don't make your day on earth, says Jesus. Make your day in eternity. And what a glorious thing that is. You see, my work, my studies, my relationships, they are fantastic. But they should be a means to an end. But that end should be a gospel end. Not a monetary one. It should be an eternal end. An end that I'm going to enjoy and have guarded for the rest of my existence. An end that I am now allowed on earth to work for. That's what storing up treasure in heaven looks like. Working for indestructible wealth. Working for riches beyond your wildest imagination. Working for a future that will not be eaten by moths, destroyed by rust, or stolen by thieves. Oh, the privilege to think that what I work for now actually matters. I mean really matters. Kingdom of God matters. And in the light of that, why are we so obsessed with the hoarding for the here and now? Because the stuff for the here and now I cannot keep. It is guaranteed to be destroyed. It cannot come with me in eternity. As Jim Elliot famously quoted in his diary just before his death on the mission field, we all know this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are we playing at? If we are living by storing up wealth on earth, it is a fruitless enterprise. But before we move on, we, we can't wriggle out of this passage by not bringing it back to money. In short, am I doing all these things and working hard so that the money I do happen to get from being heavenly diligent then gets plowed straight back into gospel ministry, gospel progress? And also in normal kingdom work, social justice, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, helping the poor. You see, having lots of money is not a bad thing at all. Keeping lots of money for myself is. And so surely the application of this passage is to take what we have and instead of building it up for ourselves, we give it away. I really think that's what Jesus is saying here. If storing up treasures in heaven is the opposite of storing up treasures on earth, then instead of keeping the money we get from our work and our studies, then surely I should be giving it away. I'm not saying what the Bible isn't. We see this all over the New Testament. Jesus using this exact same language as he does here in this passage. Matthew 19, 21 to 22, Robin read this earlier. The rich young ruler asked Jesus what he must do to have eternal life. Jesus said to him, if you'll be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Oh, how hard it is, said Jesus. 
for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or Luke 12, 33 to 34, this very message is told by Luke in his account. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Jesus is telling us that we need to be giving away our money. And this is applicable to every single one of us in this room. How much more can we be giving away? Students, you included. The thinking that you can't tithe or give away your money to kingdom work because the money you have has been lent to you by your parents or by the government is, I think, unhelpful. If you can pay for holidays with your friends, years abroad, nights out with your mates, DVDs, Starbucks coffees, lunches out, all good, potentially gospel opportunistic things in their own right, that's great. But if you're paying for all those things, then you can give money away to kingdom work. For those of us in ministry, living off the deep generosity of people who give us houses and jobs and means of study and work, we need to give away our money to gospel ministry and use it as intended. Not to make us comfortable, but to make the kingdom grow. Let's get rid of our obsession with money and possessions. Let's be obsessive about the kingdom of God. Let's not be selfish about what we're building up for ourselves. Let's be selfish for the kingdom of God. Remember principle number two. If we as this church could be gripped by this teaching, it would release an avalanche of mercy, mission, and evangelism and training across this city, the likes of which we've never seen. Can you imagine that? Do you believe that? Let's take a breather for a moment. Why is this so difficult? Well, I think this is the one thing Jesus, Jesus focuses on in the Gospels more than any other area of Christian living in his entire ministry because we find this so hard. I also think that this is perhaps the one part of Jesus' teaching that maybe we feel we're not guilty of. And furthermore, for the most part, I think this is the one thing that is going to take us away from the Lord, or at least massively dent our relationship with him. And why do I think that that's true? Because of verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's interesting, isn't it, that you can't do both. You can't store up treasures on earth and store up treasures in heaven at the same time. Because we will, for the most part, agree with what Jesus is saying here about money. We'll feel convicted in all the right ways, and that's good. But there is a small part of us that whispers to our hearts and says, actually, you're okay, you can do both, don't worry. You can maintain good giving to gospel ministry, but you can still store up your treasures on earth. Jesus says you can't do that. Why can't you do that? Because there is something about God and there is something about money that demand full mastery over a whole human life. You see, you either have God as your master or you have money as your master. And if you claim to serve both, the Bible guarantees it that at best, God becomes a slave to your need to increase your earnings and your portfolio on earth. 
And then if everything went wrong in your job or your business or your studies, you lost everything you had, you thought all the while you were doing it for the Lord, who are you going to blame? God. That's obvious. It's one or the other, says Jesus. It's God or it's money. That is why we find this teaching so hard. Money is striving for mastery over us. Guys, this teaching is uncompromising. This teaching exposes fake Christianity. Jesus does not allow us to cover ourselves thinking that we're okay, even secretly obsessing secretly over money. It's wonderful that John Piper, when he speaks on this, he looks out over his congregation, he says this, and this is true, this is helpful. I know that some of you here wrestle with this in a profoundly godly way and that you do much for the gospel with your money. Praise the Lord. But keep going, he says. Never stop giving up. Because he's right in saying that we'll never get this right. We'll always be relying on our things at points in our lives more than we should. Similarly, saving money, being vigilant with money, thinking on the future regarding money, this is all good, wise stuff. It's Proverbs wisdom, in fact. We know that. It doesn't need to be said. We do not chuck good money after bad, foolishly, crassly, carelessly, being terrified of it, burning it before we can use it. No. It is a wonderful tool for the kingdom of God on earth. And so in our saving, in our financial planning, in our fiscal vigilance, we must ask ourselves the question always, what am I saving it for? And when can I start giving it away again? What am I keeping it for? How is this going to help the kingdom of God? How is this going to help the poor? How is this going to help transform Morningside for the gospel? How do I use my money for the gospel because I love Jesus more than I love my money. And gloriously, wonderfully, as we move very quickly on to our next imperative, out of the two masters, God is the far better master. And that's our second imperative. Don't be anxious about your life. Read with me the rest of this passage from verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Oh, what a glorious truth this is. The meaning of these verses are simple and profound. And can you see how living God's way, storing up treasures in heaven, provide a higher standard of living than we do at the moment? A standard of living, in fact, if we're honest, that we crave. 
Because the truth is that the overriding feeling we are governed by, if we are living, storing up treasures on earth, is deep anxiety. And again, we know what that feels like. You're sweating over our paychecks, the disappointment of not getting stuff. But when we do get what we want, when we are able to actually get our hands on that stuff, get ourselves to a higher class, the anxiety of not getting those things pales into monstrous obscurity in the face of the horrifying thought that now we've got it, we just might lose it, all of it. Either way, when it comes to money, we are never at peace. It claws away in our minds. It keeps us awake at night. It preoccupies our waking moment. It can literally make us heartsick. It causes resentment, bitterness, disappointment, division, discontentment. Obsessing over money and possessions causes untold anxiety. And I could quote to you any number of wealthy, successful people from Russell Brand to small-time lottery winners who have said that they have never been more miserable Surrounded by more money than they know what to do with. And that is because money and possessions never do for us what we wish of them. Ever. As John Piper says, there is no positive correlation at all between having lots and lots of stuff and being very, very happy. And that is what Jesus is saying then why would you want to live like that, says Jesus? Don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. Therefore, don't be anxious. In other words, not hoarding for yourself and giving away your possessions and your wealth to the work of the kingdom and to others who need help will provide for you a less anxious life. This is radical teaching. We are hardwired to think that having more money will make us less anxious, but Jesus says that's the opposite. Storing up treasures in heaven, in other words, releases that hold that money has over our hearts. It will loosen its grip of anxiety over me, which means I don't serve money anymore. I serve the Father. He is my master. And what does he do for us? Well, as we see from these verses, he clothes us, he feeds us, and he gives us a future. In other words, all the things that we should be most anxious about, the very basics of normal human life, clothing, food, and a tomorrow, all these things, he's got it. I've got it sorted, he says. It's covered. It's interesting that Jesus focuses on these three basic things of life. He says, your father knows that you need them. He's not going to leave you destitute if you're depending on him. In other words... Be anxious to him about these things, and he will provide them for you. Let me show you how that is true, he says. Consider the birds, consider the lily, consider a patch of grass. I clothe, feed, and maintain them all. And in the grand scheme of things, Jesus says, what are they? Verse 30, they are here one minute, then they are gone the next. How much more will he clothe and feed and maintain you, those who bear his image? Are you seriously thinking, Jesus says, that the Father wouldn't look after your every very basic need when he does it every single day for every single living organism on the face of the earth? You see what actually is going on here? 
We as Christians live unnecessarily anxious lives because we have little concept of the magnificence of God's incredible sovereignty. He commands worms to be eaten. He commands flowers to die. He commands birds to eat. He drags the sun up every morning. He converts oxygen to carbon dioxide in our lungs every second. And we don't trust him to get me through the day? Oh, you of little faith indeed. Why do we find these passages so hard to listen to and live by? Because I think in our heart of hearts, we do not believe that God is big enough to keep us sustained without a significant pool of money and a certain amount of possessions behind us. I genuinely think that is true of some of us. It certainly is of me anyway. And the Bible said that's mad. Verse 31, do not be anxious, therefore, saying what we will eat or what what shall we drink or what shall we wear, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Principle number three, if we could be set free from money in the way that Jesus talks about here, we would be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Do we believe that? Do we believe that if we give away our wealth, our time, and our possessions, that the Father, verse 33, will give these basics of life to us and more added to that? Guys, we trust in Christ for our salvation. Why can we not trust in Christ to get us through today? We've looked at this in Matthew before, and I think the same theme runs through this passage as it does right up until this moment. Who do you trust? Who do you love? Your earnings, your possessions, or your heavenly father who literally owns the universe? Friends, this is not a devastating passage. This is an unbelievably liberating passage. And it's a truly tender passage. Jesus says this because he is so, so concerned for our hearts and our happiness. He is so concerned for our happiness. Listen again to the way Luke records this very part of Jesus' ministry in his gospel. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the entire kingdom. That's what he wants for us. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. We should be falling over ourselves for our heart to be in that wealth and in that security of that kingdom, surely. Fear not, little flock. I love you, says the Father. You're mine. I've got you. I only want the best for you. I only want to give you the best of everything. It is my pleasure. It is my joy to give you the entire kingdom. It's yours. If we lived in this kingdom living, we would be the happiest people on earth. Can you see that? It's not lost on me that we've moved as a church into an exceedingly wealthy part of Scotland. And praise the Lord. That's wonderful. What an opportunity to preach this life-transforming gospel to this section of our society that desperately needs to hear it. And as we as Christians are living excellently in the areas that God has placed us, by his sovereignty and by his kingdom purposes, we don't despise what we have. We don't. We don't move to shacks in the woods. That wouldn't help anyone. That's just moralism. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. 
He wants us to look at our hearts. And so we wisely use all that we have been graciously given by a heavenly father, our houses, our money, our time, our knowledge, our incredible God-given wealth, and we use it entirely for the purposes of a good God. Being willing to give it all up if it was demanded of us. I do not want you to go away feeling crushed. This is not a rebuke. I want you to be overwhelmed with the magnitude of God's incredible sovereignty and his incredible sustenance, his overwhelming love for us as individuals and this wonderful life-giving, life-affirming provision of an anxious, free life that should define a Christian. Christ died for our very lives to be just like this. What more do we want? And we crave this security, and that is wonderful. We're just possibly looking for it in all the wrong places. But as we draw to a close, what is our ultimate motivation to live this radical, countercultural lifestyle? It's not just kingdom reward as much as it is, as much as that is a big theme in Matthew, working for kingdom success, which we will reap in stunning abundance. That's wonderful. But our ultimate motivation is the third and final imperative. Seek first, then, the kingdom of God. You see, there is an order in this kingdom. There are priorities. And the first priority over everything else is not our wealth, but the kingdom of God. There's not much more to say on this because seeking the kingdom of God is everything that we've just looked at. Seeking first the kingdom of God is not storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. Seeking the kingdom of God is allowing the Father to take the strain of your anxiety, to do all the heavy lifting in our everyday lives and our experiences and our worries as we depend entirely on him and not on my wealth. And when I do that, when I properly seek first the kingdom by doing both those things, I am then freed up mentally, spiritually, physically, to do the work of the kingdom and start truly living for an unincorruptible eternity. There are two ways to live in this passage. We are either living to accumulate on earth or we are living to accumulate in heaven. We are either living, keeping what we earn for our own kingdom building, which will eventually be destroyed, or we are living to give what we earn for God's kingdom building, which will endure for eternity. We are either living with a temporal perspective in mind or we are living with an eternal perspective in mind. And we are either living with an anxiety about what tomorrow will bring and whether I'm safe or we are living with a gospel anxiety about whether people are being brought into the kingdom of God which will last the test of time. That is what I'm allowed to be anxious about. That is what I'm allowed to be selfish about. That is what I'm allowed to hoard heavenly kingdom priorities. It is they that become for me an obsession. And so can you see my feelings of treasure hoarding, my feelings of of obsessive work, my desire to be anxious to get something done, they're all allowed to thrive when they are all repointed and directed at Christ, his kingdom, and his eternity. To speak pointed, faithful words about money and possessions is to put yourself in good company, namely with Jesus himself. 
If we as a church could be gripped by the liberty that Jesus died to buy for us and by the radical, simple, wartime, risk-taking lifestyle that Jesus lived and taught, it would release an avalanche of mercy, mission, evangelism, and training across the world the likes of which we have never seen. And if we could be set free in the way that Jesus talks about here, we would be the happiest people on the whole of the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you so much for your glorious teaching through your Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, this is, is hard stuff, but Lord, I pray that we would see just how wonderfully liberating this is. Heavenly Father, help us to use this wisely. Help us to use what we have been given so graciously from you wisely for your kingdom. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you have given us. We praise you for that. We do not despise that. We are thankful. But Lord God, may we, may we love you more than we love our stuff and love our money. And Heavenly Father, when it is demanded of us, we pray that we would give it over unflinchingly for the kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the life that you have promised is so much better than this. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us and you maintain us day by day. Thank you for your incredible sovereignty. Thank you for your glorious sustenance. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.